millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello folks and welcome to the Game Day Premier League preview podcast from TalkSport with me Sam Matterface, Darren Lewis from The Mirror and TalkSport transfer guru Alex Crook. Fred sees red in the Champions League as United's discipline breaks down ahead of trip to the Hammers. The Battle of North London commences with Tottenham firing on all cylinders and Arsenal resembling the first gunners to fire this many blanks since Hans Gruber in the best Christmas movie of all time, Die Hard. Oh, the bullets! Uh, let's be honest, barring a miracle, it's going to be yippee Kane, Ozil Ducker. Arsenal have scored fewer goals than Newcastle, Crystal Palace and Fulham so far this season. Also this week, Chelsea and Leeds relive the 70s, but picking a bloke who's just scored four, and that's old hat. Manchester City still have a goal-scoring problem, but will be top by the time you take down your Christmas tree. And Sheffield United welcome Leicester, having failed to score with their last 35 shots. All on the podcast that can't wait for fans to come in so they open up the chicken balty pie stand it's a game day preview podcast from talk sport this is game day well hello to the assistant editor of the daily mirror darren lewis how are you I'm very well indeed. Looking forward to a huge weekend of Premier League football. Huge. And Alex Crook, TalkSport transfer guru and football reporter and commentator is here. Hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. New haircut. Yeah. For a, well, yeah, not a new, new haircut. Era. Let's not make out it's a different style. It's just they've just, they've just <laughs> chopped the hedge back, haven't they? Let's be honest. Um, uh, gentlemen, we'll get to the return of fans in just a second. Uh, let's start with the game that isn't going ahead, though. Newcastle against Aston Villa. Um, let, talk to me about this process here, because I don't really understand... First of all, I mean, look, I'm, I'm pleased that in a sense that they've postponed it because it's safe to do so and we don't want uh, to spread the, the coronavirus. But uh, transparency-wise, how many tests, how many positive tests does it take to postpone a game? Because I I, that's still not clear to me. No, and, it, and listen, I'm, I'm not suggesting um, in any way that, that this isn't a genuine issue for Newcastle. Um, I don't think in an ideal world, Steve Bruce would would want to counter this game, particularly after last weekend, that Friday night win against Crystal Palace. So he would have seen this as a chance to build a bit of momentum. But it, it does leave a loophole for managers, uh, perhaps if their team aren't in the best form or, or, or players are not in the best physical shape, that they, they could conceivably play the coronavirus card now and, and know there there is precedent for getting a game called off. Yeah, that concerns me a little bit. Not necessarily now, but going forward uh, further into the season, actually, to be honest. Uh, I can't actually believe it's taken this long for a postponement to take place. And I suppose that is credit, Darren, to the Premier League protocols. It is obviously really good that the Premier League have managed to push on and managed to get so much completed during a very difficult time. But I think we have to acknowledge the fact that we are in a stage of football, not just English football, football full stop, where we are making things up as we go along. And you're absolutely justified in raising the concerns that you do about how many players it takes to have a game called off because we've got no hard and fast rules about Mm. it. And if we do, I don't know about them, do you? No, that's why I'm asking them. I mean, this week we saw Manchester City use a first-team squad in a meaningless game. And I say meaningless game, obviously they needed to qualify to, to, to be top of the table. But ultimately, in that sort of game, usually you'd use one or two of the youngsters. But I think it's worth pointing out, and you might see this going forward, um, that 
in the FA Cup, for example, in the third round, you might see a completely different side with no first team players in it because the first teams are being kept isolated from the youth teams. So there's no inter-squad mixing. As a result of that, you're not getting that sort of progression apart from the ones that are already designated as first team players moving between the two setups. And, and, and I think that that is another thing that we need to bear in mind going into the, the, the congested Christmas period. Yeah, I sincerely hope that doesn't happen um, for the FA Cup, which is uh, a beleaguered competition at the best of times. And and that might just be the final nail in its coffin. I think we should also point out, you, you used the word interaction there. When football restarted, Project Restart, we were under the illusion that there'd be no goal celebrations, no <laughs> high-fiving at the end of matches, no hugging, no spitting. All of that is happening. It's almost like yeah. players have, have forgotten the social distancing rules. So it's not really a surprise that the virus has spread like wildfire at one Premier League training ground, is it? I, I think it's really interesting. If you go back to the early part of the summer when we were getting ready for the return of the Bundesliga, the way that they uh, installed the protocols there, Darren, was that they had a celebration cam. I remember uh, Erling Haaland scoring for Borussia Dortmund and, and running over to the camera and doing some little odd little dance all on his own his teammates were sort of socially distanced away from him I think it lasted about 20 minutes and then there was another goal and they all piled in on top of one another so I, I, I suppose that you can't take away that instinct that that need to sort of embrace one another when such a big moment happens but and I suppose their defense is they're being tested all the time anyway I have to say I agree with you and I, I, it's good that Alex has raised it because we all have we're in a situation now where you have to be honest about. We keep saying that if we, if football can come back, we will abide by this protocol and that protocol. And there are all these COVID safe rules that we, footballers are going to follow and that fans are going to follow. And they end up going out the window. We can lie about it. We can pretend we don't notice it simply because we're desperate to get fans back in. But the facts remain that once the games start, once the intensity of the matches take place, once somebody scores a 90th minute winner, equaliser, the social distancing will go out the window as much in the terraces and in the stands as it did on the pitch. Well, it can't, can it? it? It can't, it can't. And then that's the key factor, it isn't it? You're saying that, Sam. It will. We saw it after, you know, Liverpool won the Premier League. And lots of people were saying, why can't we be allowed to, to go out and celebrate? You know, we will stay safe. Why should we be banned from congregating outside of the stadium? But then we saw why after it happened. I don't blame any single person for that as such. It's just that football is such an intense, passionate sport that emotions bubble over and you can't compartmentalise your feelings in relation to football. We are dealing with an emotive game. And so... Listen, I'll be fascinated to see how it pans out. As you say with Haaland, in the early stages, it will be very orderly. It will be very controlled. But eventually, it will descend into the kind of chaos that we're seeing in the wider society, to be fair. It's not just football's problem. It's everyone's problem. Well, I'm, I'm going to back football fans to manage this very well, as they did in the first couple of games over um, Wednesday and Thursday night. Uh, let's start at the London Stadium then. Why? Because at 5.30 on Saturday night, it will be the first game in the Premier League since March to have supporters in the ground. to the edge of the box and it's struck into the goal by four nails on the edge of the penalty area and West Ham United lead. Considering the teams we've had to play in the, in the opening part of the season, I think for us to have this amount of points now puts us in a really strong position. No way back for 10-man Manchester United. United won PSG three, a minute into four added on. Classic United under Oli, isn't it? We win a couple of games but you just know that bad result's always just looming round the corner. The only way to respond is to... Uh get your act together. I'm glad we've got a game already uh, on Saturday. I think for West Ham, we're really looking forward to getting the supporters back in the stadium. Live on TalkSport at 5.30 this Saturday, the return of football fans to a Premier League match and TalkSport will cover the lot. I cannot wait to be a part of this. We have done our best to muddle through and bring a flavour of the event by enhancing the commentary with our crowd effects prior uh, to, to people coming back in and making sure we try to put on the show as we would if fans were in the ground. But the lifeblood of TalkSport is football fans. The lifeblood of football is football fans. And we know that it isn't the same 
without you. Um, just 2,000, but at least it's a step towards a better situation. So uh, this weekend, we're actually going to get rid of the enhanced effects that uh, sort of have supplemented our coverage when we've got games that have fans in the ground. And we're going to bring you a flavour of that actual sound of what 2,000 supporters sounds like in a Premier League football stadium. And, and, and we start with West Ham against Manchester United. And West Ham, actually, speaking to one or two from inside the camp, feel as if they were a little bit lucky to come away with all three points against Aston Villa. I understand that they, they feel as if they're in a moment where they're struggling to beat teams that they have to take the game to, but are more than comfortable with teams that come at them. Actually, it reminds me of their opponents, Alex Crook. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the people you've spoken to are dead right. Apart from the first couple of minutes of each half, Aston Villa dominated that game. Obviously, we had the VAR controversy at the end, denying uh, Ollie Watkins what many people believe was was a fairly taken equaliser. So, so sometimes um, over the course of a season, you're going to get games where you're not at your best. But if you can grind out results, this is a very positive sign for the manager. United, of course, going for nine successive um, away victories in the Premier League, having set that nuclear record at Southampton last week. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer should have been calling 999 to get Fred off the pitch at half-time in that Champions League game in midweek. He must have been the only person in the world watching that game that couldn't see the Brazilian was a red card waiting to happen. The latest example of why Ole Gunnar Solskjaer isn't the right man to take this club forward, but you can't argue with United's away form in the Premier League. And if they play like they did in the second half against Southampton, they could well get some joy in this one. But as Darren says, week in, week out, you you wouldn't put your mortgage on it. I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the, the Fred situation because it is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's fault for not spotting what everybody else seemed to spot rather easily. But also, Fred has to come under some scrutiny as well, doesn't he? Because he was the one making the decisions. And he's not, you know, a discipline has been a little bit of an issue for, for, for Manchester United and following the, the club line. What's the latest on Edinson Cavani, Darren? Because obviously he's he's posted something on, on Instagram, which is inherently racist and perceived in that way in this country. He took it down very quickly, but is he going to miss Premier League games? Well, it depends on whether the FA charge him or not. I think he's got the time to be able to launch a defence. But strictly speaking, you know, really, the FA should have acted far more quickly. He should be... It's in, it, it will be fascinating to see whether he plays in this game. I got the feeling that he will because the process allows him to be able to play in the game. We'll find out sooner rather than later, I suspect. Um and it'll be a shame if he can't play in the game because obviously he made a decisive contribution to the Southampton game with his movement, his ability to take goals as well as he does. We know what his record was at PSG and for Uruguay. And he's got leadership about him, hasn't he? So it'll be a big, big miss if he's not able to play. If he doesn't play, I think West Ham win. Uh, well, they were brilliant against Wolves and they were brilliant against Manchester City, West Ham United. So so much so that they're actually thinking of offering David Moyes a new contract. But Mikel Antonio's problems continue. I think his hamstring is a bit of a concern, actually. Um, he does give them an added dimension going forward. Sebastian Allaire is, is not a player who plays in a one. That When they bought him, he came from Eintracht Frankfurt and he played in a two and got crosses into the box and he scored goals from crosses. That. That they don't play like that, West Ham United. So how do they find goals if he does? If, if he is in the team, can I come? Can I come in on this? Because I was at the game on Wednesday night, um, and West Ham were lucky to win. Villa should have won. Villa were fantastic. Grealish was initially. I have to say, I couldn't see the hype about Grealish, uh, but I think I, I'd, I'd watched him at a point where he perhaps he might have been in a dip of form because... Since or he'd then, been out with Ross McCormack the night before or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Um, or to, but, Tom Daly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to get to that because I, I think that too few people have pointed out that the, the dive on Wednesday night in an attempt to get 4-0 sent off and that is an element of Grealish's game that we mustn't overlook. Otherwise, we're hypocrites. We've got to be honest about that and say that he's got to cut that out of his game. If he were foreign, we'd be doing it. We need to do it for English players as well. But I think as far as what Moyes and West Ham are concerned, Haller is an example of the job Moyes has done. He was sulking, he couldn't score goals. He, he was a bit of a loner, a bit of an outsider. But since he's been scoring goals and, and in a 
last few weeks, you've seen the way that the team have really embraced him. There's a camaraderie there. He feels part of it. They've won each of they've won each of their last three to move up to fifth. They won six of their last eight in the Premier League. They conceded only four goals in their last five games, and that run Sam included City at home and Liverpool away. Uh, defensively, they're more solid. Look, West Ham tend to sort out contracts at the end of seasons. So even though there is the talk about it, I know that that's what they do. They tend to wait until the end of the season, whether you're doing well, whether you're doing badly. And the reason for that is that in the season where uh, uh, Bilic was doing really well, he had Payet and he did superbly well. To that they, they knocked on the door of a Champions League place, but they fell away in the final six weeks of the season. I think they finished seventh or eighth. But the following season, it didn't go well at all. And so they're quite keen to see what's in place beyond this season. They want to actually build for the future. And I know Moyes does well as well, which is why he's brought down the average age of the players that he's got at the club. There is What he has said to us in private is he doesn't want players coming there for a payday anymore, which has been the West Ham profile for a long time. Now it's younger players, players able to contribute, players of a resale value and the squad that he's got there and the players that he's brought in and the way that he's changed the mentality I think they might hold that position in and around the top six. It's not just David Moyes' contract either, is it? Uh, Mikhail Antonio is out of contract at the end of the season. Mark Noble, the captain as well. And I think privately that those two players have been told to wait until at least January before they can start negotiating new deals. I guess in some ways that's a risky tactic because, of course, from January, um, players are free to start talking to alternative employers. But I think at the moment, David Moyes is keen to keep 100% focus on the pitch, on results, and try and maintain this good run of form as long as possible. Uh, 12 of United's last 15 games have featured at least three goals. Are we going to get another goal fest? Quite likely. Uh, let's move to Saturday night. Abraham will make it 2-0 and send Chelsea top of the table. Might be 4-1 now because the ball's deflected to Werner. Doesn't miss this time. Into the box and slams it past the goalkeeper. We have to have the nice balance of a good feeling, which the players should have, winning games, but then a real attitude and, and eagerness to, to get even better. Deserves his first for Leeds United. A whip ball in Bamford with a downward header, and Patrick Bamford has done it. This is a rivalry that goes back to the 70s when these two slugged it out in a cup final that went to a replay. Chelsea leads at Wembley, then at Old Trafford. Peter Osgood, Jack Charlton, David Webb, Peter Houseman, Eddie McCready, Gary Sprake diving over the ball. No, I'm not old enough to remember it. My dad bought it for us on VHS video when we were kids and made us watch it because until 1997, it was the only time that Chelsea had won a major trophy since 1955. Um, So um, there is a story between these two, but... uh, I suppose the big story this week is about Olivier Giroud after becoming the oldest Champions League scorer of a hat-trick. Darren, does he get a start in the Premier League? I don't think he does. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he does. And i tell you why. The way that Leeds play, they're so open at the back and I think it's tailor-made for the quick players who can get in behind and score goals against them. Leeds have conceded four goals or three three goals or more, I think, on four or five occasions so far this season. And I think Chelsea will fill their boots against them at the weekend too. I think they've got too much at the back, certainly defensively. Silva and Mendy, as you know, you know what I think about those two players. I think Canty has got more energy and uh, more of an ability to destroy than Calvin Phillips, who I rate very highly. And I just think their forward line... Chelsea's forward line is just outstanding. I I can see them scoring two or three at, uh, against Leeds this weekend. Havertz hasn't fully recovered from COVID yet and he's starting to sort of find his way back in. Pulisic is almost at match sharpness, played in midweek. They missed chances against Tottenham, scored four in midweek. With those players starting to come back and put pressure on the others as well, I think they can breach a Leeds defence that actually, Crook, has tightened up in the last couple of weeks. 
Yeah, they have. Um, although they still gave away chances against Everton that the Toffees didn't take. So I think the, the defence is still very much uh, one that you can get in behind and, and, and cause problems. I was talking about the Giroud situation on Jim White's show on Thursday morning. And I think it's a bit of a moral dilemma um, for Frank Lampard and for the Chelsea board, because my understanding is that conversations have already taken place behind the scenes and Giroud has been given certain assurances that if he gets the opportunity in January to go out and play regular first-team football in a European Championship year, then the club won't stand in his way. Albeit those conversations took place before he scored those four goals um, against Sevilla. And I think it's a very difficult situation um, for Chelsea when they're competing arguably for the Premier League title. They're still in the Champions League. How do you let a player with Giroud's natural goal-scoring ability and his impact, even if only coming on as a sub, how do you let him walk out the door? It's going to be very hard to honour that promise, I think. Yeah, I don't think you do. And I don't think you do for this reason, the same reason they didn't honour it last season, because ultimately they need him. Um, He feels more comfortable in London. So I think if he is going to move, it will be in the capital because he doesn't want to really uproot his family. I know he has got options uh, in the the M25 zone. Uh, But I, I wonder whether or not actually he will start to force his way into the team or whether Chelsea will just be clever enough and use him more often over this December period and convince him to stay and maybe not use him as much in the back end of the season once the transfer window is closed, Darren. What do you think? No, I, I think he's got to go. He's got to go. If he wants to play for France in the summer, he's got to go. Um, he can't play one game in four as he does. And Lampard's got a, a, a duty, really, to win the Premier League, given the investment in the club so far, the huge amounts of money in that forward line. Giroud's a good player, honest campaigner. But listen, I, I can see a West Ham. I know West Ham went in for him before and were turned down. I could see an ambitious West Ham side saying, come and play every week for us. We'll stick Hallow on the bench. We'll stick Antonio out wide. Bowen will go on the bench. You know, if we can bring you in to score goals for us, lead the line, hold the ball up, happy days. I can see West I'm really going for it but Giroud can't play every week because that's just not the way Chelsea play in the Premier League Yeah I think you might be right there Chelsea have kept clean sheets in four of their last five league matches Mendy was making saves again at the weekend and in midweek I saw Malang Sarr uh, play for Porto and keep Manchester City at bay Chelsea surely will bring him back next season he looks a proper defender but clearly that is where they're going to need to be on the lookout because Thiago Silva is 145 and he's not going to play uh, forever um, Sunday's always fun day on Talk Sport with the Sunday session on air at 2pm with Andy Cole, Perry Groves and I followed by Darren Bent's boot room and we follow and react to all the live football as it happens and this Sunday, well it's going to be special Century of history and tradition makes this game what it is but no meeting is ever more important than the next one. Harry Kane rifling it home and Harry is back once more and he dishes out more capital punishment. Ramsey, deaf little flicker. Belly Young first time, it's 2-2. The first time in the Premier League era since 1995 that Spurs will finish above Arsenal. Every season, Tottenham have to finish above Arsenal. If there is a power shift, it can't be based on just finishing above them. And the balance of power, without any question, remains in the red and white half of North London today. This is a little marker from the red and white side of North London that the picture perhaps isn't as polarised as some thought. What a game. Arsenal 4, Tottenham 2. This is the North London derby. against Arsenal is the 4.30 kickoff on Sunday. The Gunners are about as effective as a placebo, aren't they? They have scored in two of their last six games in the Premier League and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is struggling. I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second here, right? Okay. Could this be the moment it all changes though, right? Because you know, Arteta's history in these games, the FA Cup ties, the, the up against it, back to the walls, no one fancies us feel. Right. Let's go back to basics. Constrict. Do what we did in those big games against Manchester City and Liverpool. Pounce when, uh, I don't know, when, when someone makes a mistake and they can contain and, and strike and they use that game plan this weekend Darren no (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't believe it either but you know I thought it was worth a go 
they've lost their way. And and as you know, I am a big Arteta fan. I've been gushing about him for the last few weeks, but the wheels are coming off and I can't see that they're going to come on again against the Spurs side that are well organised at the back. Really disciplined in midfield and score goals for fun up front. I mean, Chelsea last weekend was a huge step up in class, and but their their determination, their goal was to keep a clean sheet, which is what they did to underline their title credentials. Arsenal are all over the place. They've won one of their last four. Aubameyang is a real concern. I wasn't before, but he scored only twice in the Premier League since he signed a new deal. Last weekend against Wolves, he had eight touches in the first half. Three of them were from the kickoff. He had two opportunities in the second half. Neither of them hit the target. You have to say, you have to caveat any analysis with Obangam by saying he is a world-class striker and he's shown it time and again. But something is wrong in terms of the way that he's setting up, in terms of the supply. Something is wrong and Arteta's not getting enough out of him or the team. So absolutely all day long Spurs. This isn't the flaky Spurs from ages ago. I say very often um, in, in match reports when I write about them, Mourinho's succeeded in turning them from choir boys into street fighters. And I think they're going to fight this, their way to three points in this game. That's a, a metaphor right out of the uh, Jonathan Van Tam repertoire, isn't it? Um, uh, Spurs have got better players than Arsenal, haven't they? Sorry, Gunners fans. Goalie's better. The defence are more competitive, maybe, but but Alderweireld is is better than all of their centre-backs. Doherty is a better right-back than Bayerin. Midfield is no contest for me, and Dombele, Sissoko, Hoybier, so much better. They're bossing it. And, and nor is the attack. Spurs win this all day long for me. Yeah, I think a lot will depend on, on how Jose Mourinho decides to approach the game because it was a more negative game plan uh, against Chelsea, as we talked about on Monday's podcast with Matt Holland. I think his first priority there was not to be beaten. And I hope, given the magnitude of the game, a, a North London derby and, and, and the fact that Arsenal have proved themselves capable on the counter-attack, I hope he doesn't go back to being a, a, a safety-first manager because you're right, if they go toe-to-toe with Arsenal, they have better players. Um, they will win the game. The mind game started um, in midweek when Jose was asked if he was tempted to, to rest players for the Europa League game against uh, Lask that I covered live on TalkSport 2. And he said, this is the big game, not Arsenal. Um, and you can perceive that as a, a, a pop at Mikel Arteta. They're in dreadful form, Arsenal. Um, and I don't think their problems will go away overnight. I'm not sure there is a magic wand solution. Um, I know they're interested in Christian Eriksen trying to bring him back to the Premier League as, as a playmaker. It's um, ironic that link has come out on the eve of a, a big North London derby, given Eriksen's Tottenham connection. Um, how irritated are the Arsenal fans? And are they starting to lose faith in the uh, Mikel miracle, do you think? Does My father-in-law is not happy. <laughs> yeah, but that's got nothing to do with Arsenal. It's just because his, his daughter married you. Um <laughs> <laughs> There's a huge section of Arsenal fans that have been unhappy with Arteta for some time, say that his numbers don't compare favourably with Emery. And I've been on the show talking about the difference being that under Emery, there was no direction. Under Arteta, there is, and there's discipline, there's authority, etc., etc. What surprises me is that from the two respective positions, Arsenal are the side that have failed to build. They won the FA Cup, they beat City on the way to doing it. They, they looked in super shape. I can't see how one of the richest clubs in Europe doesn't have the money to build on that achievement. And yet you look at Spurs, Spurs were a mess last season all over the place, couldn't defend for Toffee. Jose Mourinho's turned them into a superpower again. I'll say this as well. Don't compare the tactics for this to the game against Chelsea. Chelsea scored more goals in the Premier League than any other team. Chelsea are a fantastic team with firepower all through that front six. They don't compare. This will be a different game. What he has to remember, though, is that form goes out the window. So what he has to guard against is a complacency that because Arsenal's recent results are poor and Spurs' are good, this is going to be a formality. Form will go out the window. And I've seen many times Spurs fans go into this fixture believing that it's going to be their day and getting a bloody nose. Anything can happen, but I think the Jose X factor will see them get the three points. Spurs' home record is not as good as their away record, but um, the truth is that they should have beaten Newcastle United and West Ham United. And if it wasn't for mad situations at the end of both of those games, there would be four points clear at the top of the table already. Arsenal, they're playing their worst football of Mikel Arteta's tenure. 
They've lost their last three home games in a row. That's the first time that has happened in 112 years. Uh, it is a depressing situation. Um, we mentioned that Spurs have got better players. I'm, I'm plumping for a Tottenham Hotspur win here, even though it is Derby Day and anything can happen on Derby Day. What about you, Crook? Yeah, I think if they approach the game right, then uh, then Tottenham will win the game. And if they get an early goal, it could be a very difficult afternoon for Arsenal. Let's have a look at Liverpool against Wolves. It's a 7.15 kickoff. No moaning about the kickoff time this time around. Uh, Diogo Jota comes up against his former employers, having scored eight goals in his last nine appearances. What an impact. Is it written in the stars that he comes back to haunt Wolves, Darren Lewis? Yes, Absolutely. He's playing fantastic. Sorry, I'm being very simplistic this week. That's all right. That's fine. That's fine. You're, you're, in, you're in simple company. Shutter <laughs> uh, just can't stop scoring. Salah looks to have lost his way a bit. I can see him starting. I can see him scoring. He picks up such good positions in the game. He's got fantastic composer and fantastic <laughs> I liked it when you said he's got fantastic. Uh, he's a fantastic composer. I mean, because he does sort of sometimes come out with a with, with a tune like Mozart. He is he's that much of a genius. He picks up such good comp. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Are you okay? He's Darren? amazing in the final third. <laughs> That's better. <laughs> Uh, one defeat in seven after the 4-0 defeat at West Ham shows that uh, the sparked a reaction at Wolverhampton Wanderers, didn't it, Crook? But Raul Jimenez obviously is not going to play in this game. We do wish him our very best. What does that do to the Wolves' goal threat, though? Well, clearly it's a massive loss. Um, I, I don't know the stats, but Raul Jimenez has been responsible for a huge percentage of the goals that Wolves have scored since their return to the Premier League. He's such a focal point for the team. He's such a leader. Um, he's so good airily in both penalty areas as well. I like Pedro Neto. I think he's had a really good start to the season. I think his form coupled with that Daniel Pedence is probably the reason why Nuno Espirito Santo felt that he could sell Yota in the first place. I thought Fabio Silva um, actually looked quite good when he came on against Arsenal, but it's asking an awful lot from a teenager who hasn't played too many matches over the course of his career. This is a huge game for, for him to be pitched into. I think with Jimenez, you, you would give Wolves a fighting chance of causing an upset. They've um, caused Liverpool a lot of problems in recent seasons, but without Jimenez as that focal point and with the form that Yotta is in against his old club, I, I think what you said at the start is absolutely true. It's written in the stars that he will be the match winner and, and Liverpool's uh, march towards a second successive Premier League title will continue. Liverpool not beaten at home in the 64 league home league games. They were overrun at times by Ajax in midweek who had a lot of the ball. The concern is, is that their ridiculous number of injuries might be exacerbated with Henderson playing on with a knock during the midweek game. Robertson struggling through matches, Darren. You just wonder whether or not the, the injury curse is going to strike again. You're always sort of on the precipice of fear. Yeah, and the, the frustrating thing for Klopp is that every time he talks about it, people think he's whinging. But the list of injuries that he had uh, and that he has is just ridiculous. Well, he's whinging. Um, I mean, it's whether or not he's justified in doing so. Of course he's justified. If you're losing so many players, his job is to win football matches and he hasn't got the personnel to be able to do it. I think he's absolutely justified in whinging uh, about it. People might say, oh, you signed the contracts, you've got the money, you can't complain. And that might all be true. But it doesn't mean that he can't say, I'm disappointed to not have X. XYZ in my team. Totally agree. I totally agree. And they've had an inordinate number of, of uh, injuries, haven't they? Yeah, they, they have. And I think that it's to the credit of the younger players that have stepped up. Curtis Jones has done fantastic. I think he can start cementing a place in the team with a run mm. of games. Uh, Nico Williams has done really well too. Uh, uh, look, the keeper is a really interesting position because I think that's Adrian finished. If Akiva Kelleher, uh, Kelleher is starting Champions League games ahead of you with your experience, that says everything. Well, he did I let in seven on his last appearance. So, I mean, it's no surprise really that uh, Jurgen Klopp has decided that maybe we should try another way. Yeah, but I think it, it was almost as much as damning for the defenders as it was for Adrian in goal. Clearly, his performance wasn't great, but he was left exposed on quite a few occasions. Having said all of that, 
Keller has done superbly well. And you're right, you can't argue with the numbers. So I think he'll keep faith with him. And I just think there's an attitude, there's a siege mentality at Liverpool. One of the key things, I was at Brighton last weekend, one of the key things that Jordan Henderson says is everyone expects us to fail. And, you, you know, it's going to bring us together. You, you were at Brighton last period, weekend? Yes, I was. Oh, right. Because um, you didn't say hi to me either. He does that. He does that. He just goes in and out. Right. So the only time he, I've since seen Since he him, became assistant editor, yeah, I think he's it become is big well. time. Yeah. Because uh, I saw him at Norwich and he just blanked me and said, oh, I sorry, West Ham. I didn't recognise you. I didn't, I didn't recognise you. And then, and then so Brighton, <laughs> no, I didn't even know, I didn't even know he was there. That's really sad that when, that you know, sad, we probably yeah, speak to Darren is. Lewis. Certainly I speak to Darren Lewis more than I speak to my own mum. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Yeah, I, Listen, yeah. You know I sometimes forget my I, mum's name, but I always remember Darren Lewis's. I didn't see you. I, I genuinely didn't see you. I All right, I Arson. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I apologise. Yeah. Next time, I will make a genuine point of coming to find you. If you, if you don't that mind, right. that would be nice. Um, well, Liverpool, it's not all bad for Liverpool. Uh, not only have they won their Champions League grip and have gone through rather tidily, um, they also go into this weekend joint top of the Premier League. Sheffield United and Leicester to come, plus Manchester City against Fulham. But first... Lucy, our esteemed producer, is here to explain a new twist on roulette rivalry. Lucy... How are you feeling? You had laryngitis last week. I did. I'm feeling much better, although I'm questioning that weird fairy noise that you just put in. Oh, I like it. It's good, right? No? You're not happy with that? No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do you want to just crack on? Yeah, yeah, I do. I want to stop all this bloody faffing. Okay. Right, so this is Roulette Rivalry 1 to Watch. Um, So same as last week. So I'm going to give you one player to talk about from one of the games of the weekend. And this week, we're going to take a look at West Bromwich Albion, the Crystal Palace. And I'm going to give you, Crook. She doesn't sound very enthusiastic, does she? I've got to be honest with you. (laughs) Sorry, I'm not very well still. (laughs) Come on, Limsip Lou. Right, you have 45 seconds, Alex. And you're going to be talking about... Wilfred Zaha, go. Ah, oh, Wilfred Zaha, the enigma um, as far as Crystal Palace are concerned. Their record without him in the team is nothing short of lamentable. Um, we saw against Newcastle uh, how much they lack a cutting edge when he isn't playing. Uh, if he is able to make his comeback from a positive COVID test, it's going to be a massive bonus as far as Roy Hodgson is concerned. If ever there was a one-man team, it is Crystal Palace. He makes goals, he scores goals, he wins penalties because he's the expert at going to ground. I'm not saying he's a diver, but he certainly knows how to fall uh, in the box. I think it's going to be very interesting if you're Slava Bilic, when that team sheet comes in, if he's in it, they'll they'll be concerned. If he isn't, then you have to say this is a big chance for, for West Bromwich Albion. I'm not saying he's a diver, but he does know how to fall. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm not saying he's a card shark, but he does like to keep a few up his sleeve. What's next, Luce? Right, I'm going to go for you, Sam. Yes. And you have Sam Johnston. Ooh, Sam Johnston, goalkeeper for West Bromwich Albion, who was in, in, overemployed in the game against Sheffield United, had to make a, a superb number of saves. And he's done that with regularity ever since cementing his place in the West Bromwich Albion team. Obviously, he comes through the Manchester United Academy, was highly thought of there, but needed to go out and get first team football. We spent a lot of time uh, on loan. He played well for, for Aston Villa uh, in the Championship, then moved on to West Bromwich Albion. And I think West Brom need that level of goalkeeper that makes those saves because they do concede far too many chances. And that has been a big problem this season because actually they've scored an okay number of goals and created an okay number of chances. They're not top scorers by any stretch of the imagination. They're still down there at the bottom of the table. But they need his solidity. I am scared. I am very scared. Well, you don't know who's coming. You know who's coming next. No, I don't know what's coming next. Well, I do. I'm well, let's see. Let's see what who who's who's out of the bag. We set a good standard there. 
Oh, loose. Sam, you actually overran because I forgot about the stopwatch. I got distracted, so you had an extra five seconds. What, you said you were distracted because I was giving you mesmerising information or because you were doing something else? Well, I've got a new monitor, so all your faces are quite large, so it's quite intimidating to keep time. <laughs> <laughs> our faces are just quite large anyway. It's, it's, we've been locked down for a while. We like food. Right, Darren, you have Mateus Pereira. Ooh. Oh my god. And your time starts <laughs> now. <laughs> Come on, Darren. Uh, all right, okay, okay, okay. So, Mateus Pereira is a player who has a huge <laughs> reputation. Um, he is uh, a player who last season really impressed on loan and this season has carried on that form. And I think he's very unfortunate to be part of a West a West Brom side for whom the results haven't gone their way they've been very very unfortunate but he's in, been involved in everything positive that they've done and I think his influence has inspired the side to keep going knowing that the breaks will come eventually as a forward he's particularly good at picking up space well done Darren you sounded about as confident as the Arsenal front line there Mateus Pereira is a <laughs> player. <laughs> dear, oh dear. He actually created nine chances last week against Sheffield United, the most by a single player in the Premier League so far this campaign. I was very sure. I, ex- I tell you what, I expected you to give me Eberichi easy. Did you? From Crystal Palace for oh, some reason. I don't know. And when you didn't and you threw that out. It's amazing because I sent you an email with the three players on yesterday. Um, so you probably could have guessed it if you'd read it. Um, right, let's move on. <laughs> I thought I was just a guide. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive in june olive in june gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Sheffield United versus Leicester is 2.15 on Sunday. Uh, now 11 points from Derby is the lowest ever points tally in the Premier League. And Sheffield United, if you just looked at the table, are very much on course for that. But they are better than the results that they have posted. Can they make Leicester suffer back-to-back defeats here, Crook? I can't see it. Um, but then I don't think anybody expected Leicester t- to lose to Fulham um, on Monday night. Once again, uh, with the results as they were at the weekend, a big chance for, for Brendan Rodgers to lay down his title credentials. And once again, a team managed by Brendan Rodgers falls short when the pressure is applied. And there will be a certain amount of pressure on, on this game as well, given Sheffield United's dreadful run of form. Leicester looking to bounce back. I mean, Sheffield United create enough chances um, to win the game against West Bromwich Albion, let alone lose it. But you, therein lies the problem. You just can't see who's going to stick the ball in the back of the net. 
I think Leicester will score in this game and if they do that then then probably there is only one outcome uh, they've only scored four goals Sheffield United all season but I'm actually Darren more worried about the other end where they haven't kept a clean sheet the platform on which so many impressive performances last season were built there seems to be a mistake in them every week I mean if you're a Mateus Pereira you're able to get in behind them every <laughs> that was a gag by the way oh yeah sorry sorry yeah <laughs> okay. um no, I mean, and also, it's no laughing matter for, for Sheffield United because I think the confidence at the back, in fact, the confidence has gone at both ends of the pitch. At least with West Brom, for example, you could see that they had the belief to keep going at a Manchester United. Sheffield United appeared to have none. And I hope they don't panic and get rid of Wilder in the belief, in the mistaken belief that they need a fresh voice or different tactics or a different kind of organisation. I generally hate the idea that a team is worked out in the second season. I think it's generally it's things that have gone wrong or whatever for a, a club. I think with Sheffield United, they've been worked out and I don't think that they've got another option, another way of working to be able to overcome that. Okay, uh, that game is 2.15 on Sunday. Three o'clock on Saturday is Manchester City against Fulham. And Manchester City failed to score for the first time this season when they were held to a 0-0 draw by Porto at the Estadio do Dragao. Um, These goal-scoring issues that they've had were laid bare once again, weren't they? Another game where they had lots of the ball, dominated territory. I was commentating on the game, actually, uh, with Stuart Pearce. And their final ball into the box, for me, Crook, just was not good enough. Yeah, I wonder if they're guilty of overplaying at, at times as well, taking too many passes to, to get from A to B. Perhaps a more direct approach um, might be in order. I still expect them to, to be confident after that customary 5-0 win against Burnley. I think Fulham um, are not a team who are particularly capable of shutting up shops, so that should give Manchester City uh, plenty of chances um, to get in and around the, the final third. But they, they are a team who are lacking a goal threat at, the, at this moment in time. And in terms of the bigger picture, winning the Premier League, winning the Champions League, which of course has become the, the, the holy grail for Manchester City, at least for their owners, if not the fans, I think they're still a bit way short of that, in all honesty. Listen, Fulham, they, they showed that there is still a pulse there. And I, I think with the teams that they're in and around, they'll be able to pull off a few results. But although you're both right in saying that City, their, their goal ratio is nowhere near where it was last season. They're struggling for goals in the main. I know they always beat Fulham. He's, he's, uh, sorry, he's dreadfully, just woefully short of last season, Darren, isn't it? I mean, take away that 5-0 victory last weekend. They scored 10 goals. It's less than Newcastle. The reasons why. You've got to look at the reasons why. Aguero's been out for pretty much the whole season bar a few minutes here or there Jesus has been out for a long time uh, but this is Manchester City if you I mean Liverpool have managed to continue to their, continue their challenge despite the fact that they've had players out yeah but when Mane's been out Salah's played when Salah's been out Mane's played Jota's come in because they realised they needed to have some depth in those forward positions well they should have depth City shouldn't they that depth. that's the I problem agree. I agree I absolutely agree with you and I, I said right at the start how surprised I was that they didn't go into the market for a striker we, we, mm. we, we, we clipped it up on, on, on social media I was saying I didn't think I thought they would at least try for a Harry Kane for example because if you're talking about, even if Aguero were fit, you would need to be talking about a successor for him. He's 32 years of age. He's going to be 33 at the end of the season. You need a younger player. Jesus is not that man. They need more firepower. They're talking about Darwin Nunes at Benfica or Lataro Martinez at Inter Milan. Whoever it is, they need more firepower because you're right. Liverpool have depth. Spurs have depth. City don't have that depth. And that's why they're struggling at the moment. Burnley won, Crystal Palace nil. First win for the Clarets then, and Turf Moor for the moment is a happy place. Manchester City 5, Burnley nil. Premier League is a very unforgiving division. I've been in it long enough to learn that, so there's no guarantees. And Calvert-Lewin has tucked it in, Everton lead inside a minute. Rafinha with a shot and scores. Leeds United in front. We scored a lot of goals. But we conceded too much and we have to avoid this. Here's Richarlison, chance to curl it, and he curls it into the corner and off the post. 
Uh, Burnley against Everton is 12.30 Saturday. It's live on TalkSport. That kicks off our game day coverage this weekend. And Burnley clearly have a mental block when it comes to Manchester City because that trip to the Etihad followed their best game of the season, actually. But anyway, they now have a chance to get back on track against an Everton team that have won just one of their last five league games and are tossing away points like they dish out toffees. Um, With the emergence of Dominic Calvert-Lewin and the early run of seven wins, it's been a bittersweet start to the campaign for Everton, hasn't it, Crook? Yeah, they've hit more than the occasional um, bump in the road, uh, most notably against Leeds last weekend. I think in contrast to their near neighbours, Liverpool, Everton are a team who have to have their first 11 on the pitch week in, week out in order to put together a consistent run of results. Of course, that can't happen this weekend because uh, Luca Dean, who for me is one of the most influential players uh, that Carlo Ancelotti has at his disposal, will, will not be fit. And I think Burnley will try and make this a, a physical battle, um, try and perhaps ask serious questions of James Rodriguez. Does he fancy it on a chilly weekend in December against Burnley? This is a, a very different game than he would have been used to. I think defensively, that they will try and stop the supply to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Aerially, I think you have to say that if any team is equipped to deal with that threat, then it would be Burnley. I think this could be a difficult game for Everton and another big test of their credentials as as genuine European contenders. If they picked up the same results though, Everton, but in a different pattern, instead of sort of bunching the wins and the defeats together, because they've won all of their games, seven in a row right at the beginning, and then haven't won since then, apart from the game against Fulham doesn't really count. Um, if If you sprinkled those over the course of the season, it would look a lot better, wouldn't it? Be viewed upon differently. But despite Angelotti saying after that Fulham, game the bad period is over like Don Corleone declaring peace between warring families <laughs> it really isn't is it there's plenty of battles ahead Darren absolutely if you look at their fixtures after this game they play Chelsea at home they play Leicester away they play Arsenal at home and they play Man United at home Everton are not European contenders because they can't defend it's very simple they've lost four of their last five they've got a mistake in them in every game I think they'll be too good for Burnley, but I don't think that they're European contenders at all. And I think in order to rectify that, I think Angelotti will go back into the market in January and he'll look at improvements in defence and competition for his goalkeeper. I know Robin Olsen's coming anyway, but I think he'll look for you know even stronger competition because I just think that the games that they are losing are games that they would expect to win. They lost to Southampton. They lost to Newcastle. They only just beat Fulham. I mean, you know, they lost to Leeds. If Everton are serious European contenders, they should not be losing to those teams. And right now it's going to take more than Calvert-Lewin, Decore and Allen and Rodriguez to do that. Okay, thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, That's it from us. We will see you on Monday for a look back at all the weekend's football. Alex will join me for that. We will see you then. Please, in the meantime, rate and review our podcast on all of your favourite podcast providers. Uh, And please subscribe and tell all your friends about game day. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.